Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Social Marketing Academy. Uh, your host here, Christopher Tompkins. We have an amazing show today because we're going to be talking about something a little bit different with my friend Rob, um, who is my go-to guy when it comes to financial matters. Now, finance, don't feel like you're going to get bored here because we're going to be talking about how to make yourself more successful through trackable KPIs, how metrics can really show you the profitability of your, of your company, and how to really reach the next level. Because, you know, in my world of digital marketing, um, I talk about it all, this time, all the time, uh, I need metrics and KPIs so I can focus on goals and see what's working and what's not. And I also do that internally within the structure of my agency to make sure that we are profitable, right? And kind of, okay, each client that we bring on, how much drag do they cause? How much uh, expense do they cause? How much money are we making? And that's, you need to keep that in focus. Well, a lot of people lose that along their journey because there's lots of distractions. I know I've been doing this for 13 years. There's a lot of distractions or a lot of interesting projects that you wanna jump on or what have you. So um, Rob is going to help us go kind of pivot back to look at what is most important so we can track the success of your actions in your business and become more profitable. So if you are joining us for the first time, I really urge you to check out our previous episodes. The whole goal of the Social Marketing Academy is for me to provide you access to the inner circle. Um, our, our, my, my connections, my partners that I work with are all experts in their fields, much like Rob today. And I want you to have access to ask them questions, to uh, get answers and almost use this as like a free consultation. So you have been extremely receptive to this new format that we've been running now for over a year. And I'm very happy that you're getting a lot out of these. And um, I want you, like I said, to check out those past episodes, but also use this as your introduction jump off point. If you go to gosalesandmarketing.com and then click on our podcast page, all of our previous shows and guests, including their links to contact them are available. If there's any experts that you want to be connected with, please let me know. I will make an introduction to you personally between the two of you, if you feel we're just kind of reaching out to them cold. We're all here to help. We all have our different disciplines of expertise and hey, let's use this platform to be mutually beneficial in as many ways as possible. Also, you can subscribe to our podcast and sign up to our brand new um, marketing newsletter, which is called the Bulletproof Marketer. You can join that by going onto our website and filling out the pop-up that comes up on the homepage and you're good to go. Bi-weekly, all trends, all the time. So we've been curating only the best content for you. So that's from free of charge, as well as our blog and all of the other resources that we have on there. But I wanna pivot over to talk a little bit more about Rob. Now, Rob DeBrock is, um, started his career in the big corporate world, a world full of management meetings, delegated responsibilities, and clear KPIs, right? He quickly learned that the entrepreneurial route was a better fit for him. After running several technology and consulting ventures across the globe, Rob realized that there's one thing that excites him more than building his own business, helping other entrepreneurs get clarity and insight into their own business goals and finances. And so he is the, um, he, he does analytics and insights for online businesses through his company, Insight Matters. Rob is the guy that I want you to meet because I want us to go back to looking at measurable KPIs and how that will really affect and grow your business in a positive fashion. 
you know, we, we lose sight of some of this along our journey as entrepreneurs and as um, CEOs. So it's time every once in a while to kind of have a check-in with yourself and recalibrate. So Rob is here. Rob, thanks for joining us on the Social Marketing Academy. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So um, I just was telling everybody just a little bit about you. Um, and uh, why don't you say a few words about yourself to introduce yourself to the audience? Pleasure. Um, I've been living and breathing finance since I was 15. <laughs> uh, I, it basically started when I was 15. I was managing my mom's stock portfolio. So that's where I initially started. And along the way, I studied finance, started my career in banking, and I realized that I really don't like to work in a big organization mm. and started the entrepreneurial path. That was after a short project in China um, where I absolutely fell in love with the city of Beijing, the energy, the vibe, the drive, mm -hmm. the entrepreneurship there. That was absolutely addictive to me. Um, ran a technology and investment company there for a couple of years and then transitioned into consulting, uh, into financial consulting. And the one thing that I learned, that I got frustrated with, with all my clients was the first question I would ask them was, show me your books, show me your numbers, then let's discuss how we can help you. And the, quest, the answer was nine out of 10 times, well, we don't really have the numbers that you're asking for. We don't really have the information that you're looking for. So um, that led me two years ago to found Inside Matters, where uh, we're helping companies, online businesses, mainly agencies and, and uh, uh, other service businesses with reporting and analysis based on their financials. And last year, we got slightly frustrated with most of our clients not having their books in order. So we also started offering bookkeeping, <laughs> not because we like Art. bookkeeping, but, but because it's so incredibly important that it's done right. It's so funny that you say that because it, it's, it's exactly what I do with, the, with, our, with our campaigns that we do. Um, for example, it, maybe we don't want to do um, website design. But if, if a website design is going to be, if a, it's going to hurt conversion of our campaign, we will say, hey, can we give you some suggestions on how to fix <laughs> yeah. your website? And it's, it's kind of the same thing because you're, you have to be proactive sometimes because if you don't have that bookkeeping service and everything's an absolute mess, we all know what that's going to look like. Um, well, what that usually starts to look like is that we start managing the third party bookkeeper, which doesn't really fit our role or our scope. So we just rather do it in-house and then we know it's done well. So just to kind of start off so everyone understands how you kind of, how you work with your clients because we're, we're dealing with analytics and reporting and, and that type of good stuff. What, um, how, how, do you engage, how do you engage your typical client? What we do is assume, let's ignore the bookkeeping part because that's foundational, but that's yeah, let's not definitely the most interesting part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we do is we take, well, we start always with the goal of the entrepreneur, with the owner. What are you trying to build? What are you trying to achieve? Is that a 100-person agency? Is that a lifestyle business with the four-hour work week in mind? Or where in the middle are you? Right. Then we decide what are the KPIs that is going to get, are going to get you there? What kind of revenue do you need? What kind of margin do you need? What kind of conversion rate do you need? And that we work back into a dashboard, um, a financial dashboard, where on a monthly basis, we track and report and analyze their progress towards their goal. And we advise them on, hey, we see that these metrics are going well, this is not going very well. 
if you want to stay on track, probably the next two months, you should be focusing on increasing your conversion rate or uh, optimizing your cash flow or whatever it is that we see mm. where they're lagging. Okay, that's really interesting. You know, it's, it's, it, it, there's so many, there's so many questions to kind of dive into on this one. I, I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is setting budgets. I think budgets is one of the things that as soon I, I'm, I'm one of those people too, because one of the things that I will do is I'm just notoriously cheap. So I will just go for the lowest cost all the time. And then I feel like I don't have to worry about budgets then. Um, but uh, so how do you adequately set budgets for a company or what how should a company even look at that first of all i know where you're coming from um we make the joke that dutch people are cheap i've been penny wise pound foolish more times than i would like to admit so you're not alone um you start with thinking about what thinking about what do you want to achieve what is that budget serving because a budget is never the goal in itself the budget is right. the framework that visualizes the roads towards your goal, whether that's the one year goal or three year goal, or maybe even the, like the four week goal. Mm -hmm. So what you start with again is what do you want to achieve? What's the target? How much, how many clients do you need to get there? What's your cost that you can afford to get there? Right. What is your marketing spend that you can or should use to achieve that number of clients? Mm -hmm. And that assumes that you know your acquisition costs, that you know your conversion rates, so a budget, more than the actual numbers, it's about thinking how you're going to get from where you are now to where you want to be. If you don't make a budget or a roadmap, I'm pretty sure you're going to end up in an interesting place, but it's probably not where you want it to go. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that one of the stumbling point, uh, points, even for me um, at times when I'm looking into, the, into budgets, is that as soon as I start looking at all of the elements that I need to incorporate into the structure of a budget, I have to then go into 16 different ways to uh, 16 different places to try to figure out what this looks like, and then take that number back and then what this feels like, and then take that number back. Do you feel like that is a that's a common issue that you see with your clients? Absolutely. The, the, the shortcut for that is to use one of the AI based tools that basically extrapolate what you've done before into the future and you adjust it a little bit. That's the shortcuts to do, I wouldn't even call this, dare to call it the 80-20, but to get a, a, a semi-decent picture. Mm -hmm. For me, that thought process of going back and forth, like what number should that be? And is that realistic or not? That thinking process is critical because mm -hmm. that triggers you to think about what are you actually trying to achieve? Can I do this in a better way or a more efficient way? Or should I spend more on this and am I being too cheap on this part? Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, when, when we're looking at financial goals, it's so funny because it's, it's looking at the, it, a lot of, a lot of companies that I've talked to, and this is, this is very honest. I think that they've looked, they look at their um, profit and loss and balance sheet once a year when they have to do taxes. And yeah. it's, it's not something that they're looking at on a regular basis. Um, what, what advice do you give to companies that are trying to make those changes to kind of start holding themselves a little bit more accountable with the numbers that are surrounding them? And that comes back to the goal. What are you trying to achieve? Mm. If you, 
let's say uh, one of our clients is an agency. They have about 12 to 15 people now, and they're looking to double their revenue this year. Okay. The only reason that that guy is going to succeed is because every month he is confronted with, am I on track or not? Because it's very easy to have this big ambition, like, oh, I want to double this year, or I want to be at that in, at 50 people three years from now. Mm-hmm. But if you don't measure your progress along the way, you're going to be somewhere over halfway or three quarters along the way in terms of time. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that you're not even close to going to make it mm-hmm. or that you're uh, heading the wrong direction because you wanted to have 20 big clients, but instead you're picking up small clients left and right. So mm-hmm. it's this monthly review, like, am I doing the right things? Am I progressing how it should? Should we revise our marketing strategy? Should we revise our operations? Mm-hmm. All of those components, I usually call finance the, the internal language of the business. It connects every single part and it translates it back into numbers that you can compare with each other. Yeah, I, I, and I, I agree with that too. That monthly outlook is really important because one of the things that, that one of the things that, I mean, if you, if you are constantly in a business development mode and you're really trying to get to those large numbers and you are closing those clients, but you feel like you have to continually close the clients and you're thinking like, why am I not getting closer to my goals? And you're seeing that you're not keeping them on beyond their contract. And it's like, well, is there an internal reason why that's happening? Like what, what is So it's kind of like this data is more useful than we think just because, I mean, honestly, accounting, if you're not a numbers person, which I'm, I would, I would say that I'm not a numbers person. I'm more of a strategy person. Um, So I like using numbers for strategy, but then when I have to be posed with budgeting or something or looking at spreadsheets with numbers on them, my eyes go crossed and I feel like I'm, it's like I'm reading a different language. How do you do such a shame? Because if you have this strategic vision where your agency can go, Mm -hmm. I would expect it's fun to translate that into the milestones that's going to get you there to -hmm. actually validate that that ambition is actually realistic and achievable. Mm -hmm. And yes, you need to invest for that and track for that. And if you, if your clients are churning as fast as you bring them in, you definitely have a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, but tracking that and monitoring that progress, well, maybe it's me being uh, biased, but that's fun. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. I mean, it, it shows you what level of success that you have. And uh, I mean, for, for us, what we do is we, um, we're always monitoring our internal processes so we can make sure that the amount of service to the client will extend their life as much as possible. Beyond, I mean, within the terms of what is possible. Um, yeah. But but a lot of people that I've talked to kind of, they will focus on closing a lot of business and then they have this big ball of business that they just landed that now needs to be serviced immediately. And then those people drop off and then they have to do the cycle again. Uh, now, when you're dealing with kind of with KPIs, where do you start with that in terms of developing that with a client? Because if you say like, what are your goals to a client? Do they have an answer? Or do they say, I just want to make more money? I, I just want to... Uh, they have, they have somewhat of an answer, but it always takes two, two or three pushbacks. Like, is that really what you're trying to achieve? Um, some people think they have this big ego goal or a pure financial goal, but there's usually something underneath, like underlying a little, one yeah. or two layers deeper mm-hmm. that's actually driving them. Right. And that's the one that you try to aim for because that's the one you need to quantify. 
Mm -hmm. And of course, from our background, we try to quantify that into a number. Is that a certain lifestyle that you want? Cool. What does that mean? How much income do you personally need every month? Or if you're trying to build a company for a big exit, what, is, what, is, what does a big exit mean? 5 million, 10 million, 100 million? There needs to be a number there because the only way you can measure if you're achieving that or if you're heading in the right direction is if you quantify it. So we start by their goal, their, their personal goal with the business, quantify it into a number and then start working back. And okay, How, and revenue uh, is usually one of the most important ones, but it's also right. the most overrated one because revenue, especially if you're good in closing businesses, but you, they're churning, revenue doesn't mean that much. What we much more uh, care about is profit and cash flow. Because mm -hmm. that is where the value is. That's where you pay the salaries from. And if you're doing an exit, that's also where the valuation comes from. Mm -hmm. No, that's very true. So what do you, what, how, for example, if you're taking a company on and, and you're trying to kind of ferret out what the goals truly are, um, do you ever have to suggest goals or suggest what they should be focusing on if they are kind of a little wimpy i guess in their and what their goal definition is um it's very tempting to do that but we don't mm -hmm. we go as far as saying are you really sure we <laughs> we challenge them by asking the questions like do you realize what that means for you personally do you realize what that means for how your life will be like at that time or after that time Mm -hmm. And by visualizing that, by understanding what they're saying, usually they shift a little bit more to what the direction we would ex expect them to say. Mm -hmm. And that sounds very manipulative, but it is more that people are either overly optimistic and don't realize what they say when they say they want a $100 million business, mm. or they're scared of growing too fast, so they'll tune down their ambition. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And how do you um, how do you differentiate for individuals and business owners that feel that goals and KPIs are synonymous terms? Sonny, I don't think most I, I don't think I've run into people who who mix them up too much. I think KPIs mm -hmm. are usually a bit vague, but. A goal yeah. is the point on the horizon where you're heading towards. You got to get there. Yeah. And the KPIs are basically the milestones next to the road that tell you how far along the road you are. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because we've had discussions with um, with clients where we're talking about goals and KPIs and they say, well, what are these mutually exclusive? And it's, it's no, the KPIs are your roadmap and then this is your destination. Um, how many KPIs do you suggest are put into place on a monthly basis to monitor? That really depends on the size of the agency. Okay. If it's a smaller business, because every person can, if you have like a dashboard with metrics, you can observe 10 to 12. If it's much more than that, people lose the sense of uh, proportion and they, mm -hmm it starts to become a bit blurry. And if it's less, you're kind of missing out on information. Mm -hmm. But if you're having a bigger team, you kind of want to have an, a dashboard with similar, sometimes the same KPIs per team, 
and on a company level, not more than 10 or not more than 12. Okay. And now once you get the KPIs together and you get the metrics that you're starting to look at, um, how often do you suggest people looking at them and kind of tracking them and looking at their growth? The financials, monthly. Okay. Um, if you do it quarterly, you're too late. You're too slow because the idea is that you review the numbers, you review the metrics, you compare them to where you want to go and if you're on track or not, mm -hmm. and you take corrective action. Gotcha. If you do that once a quarter, you're going to be three months out before you actually realize that you may have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. Usually a week is too short. I mean, it's very tempting to look at revenue on a weekly basis often, but there's not a lot of value in there. Monthly mm -hmm. is pretty much the sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I was curious because I think that sometimes um, people get a little over eager at looking at the numbers and how the needle's moving. And sometimes the, it, you don't get the right perspective if something's working, um, if you're looking yeah. at it every single day. Um, I think though that it's more, but I'm curious if it's your experience as well. I'm tempted to say that's more a thing on the marketing side mm -hmm. where uh, followers and engagement and open rates are much more tempting and interesting to view on a daily or weekly basis than mm -hmm. the pure financials. Yeah, it, it within within reason because I think that also if there's product companies that are that are selling through their website and it's tied directly to marketing, obviously we would be looking at those. But then they would be looking at how many sales and what the volume is based off of the marketing efforts. So that would be something that they would look at on a regular basis. And also, if we're doing appointment setting through social and their um, their team needs to make so many sales, they will then look to see how many sales are closed based on this number and that number. So it's almost like there's collective eyes on certain things um, at certain times. But I think that if you're looking at a financial picture, I agree with you 100%. I think a month, like a month at a time is where you can really see where you're, where you're at, as well as being proactive. Um, what are the what do you think are the most commonly used metrics and kind of in tracking and reporting and that thing type of thing in agency land that's definitely revenue although i think it's overrated that is of course mm -hmm. gross margin operating margin um the one that i really want to see at every dashboard but is usually missing is operating cash flow so what is the the net cash flow that you realize from running your business mm -hmm. um we want to see productivity rates of your of your team. How much time are they actually doing client work or billable work, depending on your model? Mm -hmm. uh, and how much is, let's say, uh, wasted or non-specific? Um, profitability per client or per niche or per uh, service type is a critical one. Um, that's usually the one that's hardest because that requires people filling out timesheets um, or tracking their time. And if there's one thing people in marketing agencies seem to hate, it's time tracking. Um, I am also always interested in ROI. So what is the return on the investment? How much money are you investing as the owner mm -hmm. in growth? And what are you getting from that? Customer acquisition costs. A couple of weeks ago, you had a, um, uh, a guest uh, on the AI space. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that 90% of the companies don't know their customer acquisition costs. Unfortunately, I think he's right. And yeah, another one is lifetime value of the customers. And you mentioned earlier already, if you're bringing in a lot of business, but you're churning them as fast as you bring them in, yep. 
that's a problem. So mm -hmm. the, 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 uh, the ratio between customer acquisition cost and lifetime value is a very, very important one. Mm. Now, these are really good. I just wrote some of them down just because I think that these are really good um, things to kind of keep into mind. You know, um, <clears throat> and going into time, I think is one of the things I'd like to kind of like just kind of cut off into. And you're a hundred and uh, you're two thousand percent accurate um, guess that agency marketing agencies don't like to track their time. It's so interesting um, because one of the things that we always try to do is we we do like um, kind of like every other month or every third month we'll do we'll do time tracking on on um, acts and it's the one thing we always I always kind of fall into the gray area is that non-essential time that not I can't pinpoint what is actually being yeah. done there. Um, and do you find that that's, that's a common issue with agencies or a common, a common occurrence? I haven't met a single agency where time tracking is done properly, consistently. <laughs> a lot of them try it and then it slips away because nobody likes it. And then we come in, we push on it, then the quality goes up and then over time you see it go down again. And regarding that, that, that gray zone time, in our team, we have a time tracking code called wasted or undefined. And if people don't use their time more, uh, at least twice a week, I don't believe what they put in because there's always time that's wasted. There's always time that you think, yeah, I did a lot, but I really don't recall what exactly I did. Mm -hmm. So let's just put that in a separate code so we can track that a little bit on how much we're spending on that because it's there. We know it needs to be manageable. Control. Mm -hmm. So for for an agency that's looking to kind of make that make that change into and holding their their team more accountable for their time management, do you have any suggestions on apps or timers that you've used to kind of keep track of things? The best suggestion is the app that the team accepts. That... <laughs> that's perfect. I love that answer. <laughs> I mean, we work with Toggle. I've seen people work with Time Doctor and Harvest. And uh, we've even tried the, the time tracking feature in ClickUp, which I found horrible, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Whatever works for the team. I really don't mind, honestly, don't really care as long as it's done at a certain level of accuracy. The bigger question is, how can you motivate the team or um, uh, stimulate the team to do it? And there's always the carrot and the stick there. The stick is if you don't do it, you get punished or you get called out, you get shamed or whatever. For some people that works. The mm -hmm. carrot seems to work better where if people need to understand why they're tracking time. So not because the boss wants to uh, control what they're doing, but because you want to see which are actually the good clients, which clients are actually most profitable. And I've seen the best results where founders give an incentive to the team to track their time and that the best performing team or the best performing client uh, service team gets a bonus, whether that's uh, an, a, a team dinner or some goodies, whatever. Something to incentivize like, hey, this time tracking is accurate and this is the best client or this is the most productive team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I find a lot of the times because we 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 incentivize that too. Um, we will do like profit sharing and that type of thing to kind of incentivize like top performing team members. But one of the things that um, I've seen where it's really interesting is 
when you have your time track and this is when you like when you start pulling out all of these metrics and you start seeing things one of the things that we were seeing is like wow this person's getting some fantastic their their time is fantastic but they're working crazy hours in order to get these metrics yeah. and we're paying them for those hours to get these crazy metrics so i don't feel like this is a profitable client because I have to spend a lot of more time on the client in order to get these outstanding results. Whereas if the client was billed more initially because we could see how much they were worth. And this goes back to the client acquisition cost and kind of what's the lifetime value of a client. And you know, over, over the past year for myself internally with our agency, we re-spent a lot of time on this to make sure that we were you know, looking at the time that we were spending on the clients and going like, oh my gosh, what, why are we, why are we charging them this little, this should yeah. be something we should have a fair compensation of our time. And even, just, even though that client may be your biggest client, they may have the highest retainer, but if you spend a disproportionate amount of time on them, their effective rate and their effective profitability can be low or in some cases even negative. And also so a really good point from my own honest perspective, um, what we've done in the past is if we have run the, um, the numbers on a client and we have found that, we've decided to either let them out of their contracts early or just wait till the end of their contract and, cho and choose not to renew with advance notice. Because even though something could be like, wow, this is a really great brand name, but then if they are sucking everybody's time and or demotivating them, your yep. team members, yeah, that's that's a drag that you need to be able to see. Uh, but it's funny because sometimes big um, people really like the brand names and they really like this, oh, this is like the celebrity of it all. And usually in those cases, I've found that those clients don't offer the returns that we're really looking for. Um, not directly in some cases it may be that your branding goes up the value of you as a brand goes up because you're working with that brand completely i completely agree with you and i think it's kind of one of those things where you make the choices when it is good strategically for yourself exactly. knowing that you may take a loss on this and then setting up your team to understand that yeah. the project is going to look like this and not like the typical project um exactly. so what is understanding profitability is a question that is kind of asked by a lot of different agencies. How do you, how, how do you help agencies understand how profitable they are? The initial step is having a simple look at their PL and see like, are they actually profitable according to their books? That, right. I mean, that's the obvious point. The second thing is diving in, in, on either, depending on the agency, either on a team level or on a, on a product level or on a client level, dissecting what's the revenue, what is the cost that you're spending in direct costs, and how does your overhead look like? So your marketing spend, your management costs, your office, what, anything that's not directly, uh, uh, not a direct cost. We attribute that on a proportional level, either on a client level or on a revenue base. And then we look at which clients or which segments or which products are actually profitable or not. And it's always fun to have those conversations because nine out of 10 times people say, this is where we make the money and nine out of 10 times they're wrong. Yep. That's interesting. It, it, it's, you're not wrong. Uh, I mean, I've done, I've looked at, I, I've worked with product companies before and uh, well, I always do, but 
they'll have um, six different products and they'll be like, and I'll say, what's your top seller? And they will tell me what their top seller is. And I will look at their books and I'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and or <laughs> what I'll do is I will find out aspirationally that's their top seller or that is what they want to be the top seller. Yeah. Um, but it, the truth is a little bit different. Do you feel that it's, uh, do you feel like uh, the agencies that you work with when you're trying to go through a lot of these things, because a lot of these things are uncomfortable for an agency owner to go through. Um, where do you find they, that they feel the most uncomfortable? During the goal setting piece or when, when you're oh, getting no, access no. to your, what is it? It's when we start diving in the books, and we do the first report on their metrics. So the whole goal setting and aspirational part, that most founders love that because that's forward looking. That's about their dream. And setting mm -hmm. the metrics helps them get to that dream. So that part is usually the most relaxed and most engaging parts. Then comes the first report where we lie out like, this is how you're scoring all these metrics now. That's when it gets uncomfortable where some people get defensive and challenge the numbers because that can't be correct because their gut feeling tells them this product is better or this client is super good. Um, I do notice that the ones that are responding defensive are exactly those clients that are not getting a lot of value from us because they see it as an attack. The ones that are flabbergasted and start asking questions like, hey, how do you get to this? Or why is this so high or so low? Those are the founders where we see they want to learn, they take it serious, they see the value and they get the results. Their mm. profit goes up, their efficiency goes up and they, they're close to hitting their goals. Another question that I have is, um, I would imagine that there, there might be a level of discomfort in allowing someone from another company such as yourself to go into all of my back end of my books and things yeah how do you do that securely and also to make sure that the client feels secure in the whole process we are that trust in us is is is, not, is priority number one people sometimes ask like how do we compare to the benchmark or how do we compare to competitors those are the questions that make me uncomfortable because in like a benchmark industry-wide we can give, but the more specific it gets, the more traceable it could get to our clients. Right. The, the, we don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. So um, being super confidential about our other clients towards them is the best guarantee that we can do to also show them that we're super confidential about their information towards others. Mm-hmm. Um, some clients insist on super heavy NDAs. Sure, no problem. We sign them. Yeah. And others realize that it's our core business that we see 10, 20, 30 companies' books every day. Mm -hmm. So they know that that's our core, that we're not going to uh, be public about that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing is the ego of the founder or the, or the owner. That is where the uncomfortableness gets because they disclose how good or how bad of a manager they are in their eyes. And I think that like to talk to that point, um, to anyone out there that's listening to this, that is, that is a founder and that get in their feelings about financials and their pride. Um, 
you're not going to grow if you stay that way. So kind of shake that off and grow up because you have to know that, for example, if I'm, if we engage Rob, Rob is going to tell us all of the stuff that we don't want to hear to make us get better. So we know what we're dealing with. Because one of the things that I, I, I always say this when I'm consulting with, with different people, when we talk about when financials come up, because I will tickle the financial subject, but I will not like go into it because I don't know enough about that to speak really well. But as a, as a founder and a, an agency owner, um, you can go with your gut on a lot of different things, but on your balance sheet, it's not one. So you don't want to go on gut feelings of what your financials are or like looking at things because I made this mistake when I was first starting out too. I was looking at so many different moving pieces around the table and I had so many things to deal with. So I was looking at my financials and I was like, okay, well, this is how much is hitting my bank account every first of the month. Okay, cool. And then there's my bills. Okay, fine. Okay, I got this. But then I was hiring people and then a client would drop off. And then so my financial, um, my projections were all over the shop. So it got to the point where I was looking at things and I was like, wait, I'm working my ass off and I don't feel like I'm making a whole hell of a lot of money here. So then I went and I actually found an, um, a financial analyst to help me out. And I went in there and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Help me. <laughs> and they, and they did, but it's the same thing that I have when I deal with I know if I'm on a discovery call with a potential client and they push back on every single thing that I do, they ask them, if I ask them, so where do you generate your leads? And they say, we generate leads. Oh, gotcha. Um, anything. Uh, and then, and then you, then you start saying, well, how many, how many leads are you processing a month? Are they coming from your website? How many sales do you feel like you want to project? And all of these are kind of milk toast answers that are kind of like, well, you don't need to know that yet. You need to kind of understand what our mission is. And I know when people are hiding behind mission statements and hiding behind branding. And um, yeah. But uh, when it comes to your financials, you can't go with your gut. You need to really understand what's going on. And everything that Rob's talking about here is really important, um, especially if you want to grow and level up. And I, as something else that you said too, Rob, I want to point out KPI, like for example, one of my goals for my agency, it's not to quadruple in one year and to get like 65 this and franchise all over. That's not one of my goals. One of my goals is to work less and enjoy my life more. So what does that look like and how do I get there? And that can be a KPI for your business. That can yes. be, I'm sorry, you know, it could be a goal. It is. If that's your goal, then you aren't. Then you should look at how many hours you work, and what is your personal income, and how can you get to the point, or if you already have, hire a GM who runs all the operations, and probably want to pay a bit more to that GM, so you can make sure you have a good one, so you don't get sucked back into it. Exactly, and this yeah. is something that a lot of people don't get because I think they feel that especially in marketing, because if you're looking at marketing agencies, everybody treats us like crap. Like everyone treats us really badly because sales is the, is the, is the department that gets all of the, all of the accolades, right? We're just like these ideal people that like push buttons and stuff over there and get things going. And I think that's an overriding thing I've felt my entire career. That's fine. I understand it. That's, uh, we get, I, I, I'm happy with the work that we do and ever, and our clients are happy. Um, 
but I, I know that, you know, what, what would make me happy as a, a future is not to like quadruple my business, but I think a lot of agencies feel that growth is the only goal. The only thing they're going towards is to get larger or bigger or make more money. I mean, have it you seen that? It doesn't happen. Uh, I have recognized that drive. And to a certain extent, there needs to be some growth because if there's zero growth and you churn, and let's right. say you have five clients and you churn one of them, you have a problem or you could have a problem. So, but growth doesn't have to be doubling the amount of clients or yeah. uh, working more and more and continuously expanding the team. Um, another one of our clients, they have eight clients at the moment and they put a hard cap on 10. They're ambitious in their revenue growth, but they say we service eight to 10 customers, not more. We don't want to spread too thin and have too much overhead and too much sales efforts. No, mm -hmm. we want to pick eight clients and grow with them. And every once in a while, one will churn and then we'll pick up a new one. That's it. That's a perfectly fine strategy. Yep. It, and they grow with their customers. They're not aggressively pursuing and doing tons of marketing and PPC, et cetera. No, they are just small in terms of scale, but reputable and uh, their clients are loyal. So in terms of growth, it's relatively slow, but solid. It, it's, it, and that's, and, and see, I, I love hearing that because it's good for, it's good for someone else aside from myself to be saying this out there um, because <laughs> I do feel that a lot of, like even when I'm when I talk to people about my agency and the size, I they always say, "Oh, okay. Well, we thought you were going to be much larger." And it's like, "Well, no. Our reputation and our expertise is massive, but we make a choice to live in a smaller environment because that's where we feel comfortable and most creative. So we don't need seventy-five clients to make ourselves feel like we're a success." And what makes me enthusiastic in those kind of settings is. If you have a reputation that's bigger than your actual size, mm -hmm. usually that means clients come to you. So your acquisition cost is, well, I can't say zero, but very, very low. And yes. if you have the reputation, you can usually charge a bit higher rates. So your profitability should be really, really well. Yeah. And, and but here's, here's, this is a really good point. So if you're looking to get down, if one of your KPIs, and I've never, and I, I do not know what my customer acquisition cost is. Imagine if, an, the, if you're an agency that's saying that and you're doing marketing and you're doing call centers and you're doing all that shit. What if one of your KPIs was to lower your customer acquisition cost and you were able to just go, okay, I'm gonna start building referral sources and then you build referral sources and you can drop your customer acquisition cost to zero and gain more profit. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, these are the, these financial, these financial elements, while they can be really annoying to a marketing, a marketing agency owner are super freaking important. Like they're, they open the keys to how you can look towards your future and, and kind of realizing what your dreams really should be. I kind of like, just kind of like recentering yourself, I guess, in a way. So um, in terms of all of the, all of these, uh, all of the kind of the KPIs and the goals, what kind of other, what other tips I would say before we finish up, like what other tips do you have for um, agency owners that are kind of looking to kind of dabble in this area? 
the number one thing that I think is still undervalued is cash flow. So I see a lot of agencies yep. that bring in a big name client, super happy, maybe even a really good retainer level, but the client pays net 60 or net 90, or in some cases even worse. And that you have to realize that if, if a client pays net 60, that you are financing your team for two or three months before your customer pays you. So there is a lot of uh, uh, risk and uh, well, there's a lot of uh, profit to be made or uh, uh, business success to be grown by managing payment terms and your cash flow as much as you're managing your profitability. I would rather, and I know discounting is a dirty word in marketing, I would rather give a bit of a discount to a customer, even if they're so big, but let them pay upfront. Because if they pay upfront, your risk goes down to near zero. Yeah, I, I, um, and this is something that I've run up to, uh, literally, I think the last two weeks, I've come into three or four times with other partners that we work with. Um, we, um, all, of our, all of our structure, unless it's creative, um, for example, like if we're, if we're doing, I mean, a large graphic design project, we'll do 50 and then 50 upon completion. All of our retainers are paid in advance. And in, in a lot of, a lot of companies might say, oh, well, that's really interesting. You know, we have a net receivable of like 60 days, like you're saying, and what you said is exactly what I say to them. Okay. All of my other clients are paying ahead of work and then you're going to get free work for two months. And then I'm going to have to, and, and by the way, if anybody is in, when they say net receivables, when that, when those two words come out of their mouth, they're going to be late every single time, every single payment's going to be late and it's going to be late by at least like 10 days. So during those 10 days, your finance person's going to be up your butt. Your accountant's going to be up your butt. Payroll's going to be up your, they're going to be a pain. So what you said, Rob, I'm giving you like the, like the, the, the drastic truth, I guess, <laughs> um, offering them a discount to get on your own system is a good way of doing it. Also understanding that companies over a certain amount of revenue automatically go to that model. So when you go in to pitch them, quote them higher so you can build the discount into that. So then Absolutely. you're completely taken care of. But that's a really good point. I, I, I've, I mean, I do that. I do that a lot because I've gotten. I mean, come on. I had one client, biggest client that we had, forty-five days late every payment. The payment was like twenty-five thousand dollars. But what does that do for my cash flow? Right. I mean, that that's a gets a pain. What does it do with your cash flow? What does it do with your time or somebody in your team to chase them, to repeat them, to remind them? It also harms the relation if you're constantly nagging them to pay. It's such a frustrating and annoying waste of time and money. Mm -hmm. If you can avoid it, avoid it. Yeah. And I think that if you're, if you're not going to avoid it because you want to take on that big name client, suck it up and shut up. Take it. You got it. You're <laughs> going to deal with it. It's going to be a pain in your butt. So if, if you're like, oh, I don't know why I'm, I'm ruining the day I ever took them on again what you're saying before, what was the goal for taking you, taking them on? What can you use? What is their net profitability? What's the, what's the lifetime value of taking on that client? It, I'll tell you something for nothing. All of the pain that I went through outweighed the pain of having to deal with them with their payments. It's a closer. So I could do a two call close instead of a four call close 
which then decreases my closing cycle, which, which, you know what I mean? There's so many things that have a knock on effect, but seeing everything, seeing the full picture is really important. Um, Well, Rob, okay. Where can people learn more about you and your company so they can, they can just see what you do and maybe engage you? Uh, the best place is to check our website, financeinsightmatters.com. Uh, if you're interested in the game plan, like the whole goal setting KPI metrics, we have a separate page for the audience, uh, financeinsightmatters.com slash TSMA. And if you want to connect with me personally, the easiest place is connectrob.com. All right, perfect. And also everyone that's watching this and listening to this, I'll have all of the links on the description of the show, as well as on our website, gosalesandmarketing.com on the podcast page. You can find Rob. Also, finally, if you want me to make an introduction to Rob, just let me know. Re- reach out to me via the website or my email, and um, I'm happy to make a warm introduction to you so you guys can, can connect. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on the Social Marketing Academy. Pleasure. Um, All right, folks, we have some really great shows coming up. Um, Again, don't neglect the old shows. If you like this one, I have a whole bunch you can watch or listen to. Just go, go, go find them. Um, Go to go to salesandmarketing.com. Also, don't forget to sign up for our Bulletproof Marketer newsletter. It's a bi-weekly trends report, has all the social media and digital stuff that you need to know. It's delivered to you. You don't have to do any work. Just open it, read it. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us on Social Marketing Academy. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Take care, everybody.